Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What if we told you about a major breakthrough on awesome savings on all-inclusive beach vacays? OMG, this could break the case. Case? I'm talking about CheapCaribbean.com. It's full of hot savings. At CheapCaribbean.com, score an extra $175 off site-wide on vacations of four nights or more now through June 3rd. Swim up bar in Punta Cana or dip your toes in the sand on the shores of Cancun. We gotta take this show on the road. Start at CheapCaribbean.com. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Vehicle scene, 10.15 a.m. Body lying on a white cloth coat with fur collar. 10 cents in pocket. Black mark, bottom left eye. 357 Ruger on coat, powder blowback on barrel, key in off position with sandy key ring, park lights on, mud on rear tires still wet, left yesterday afternoon to see boyfriend, father's gun. From iHeartRadio, I'm Melissa Jeltsin, and this is What Happened to Sandy Beal, an iHeart original podcast. Chapter 5, Listener Update Instead of releasing a full episode this week, I'm taking a small detour to explain some new information I received. What you just heard were notes from the scene of Sandy's death written over four decades ago. A few weeks back, in the middle of putting together this podcast, I got an unexpected email from the Prince George's County Office of Law. Attached was Sandy's police file. 
Kim had given me the police report on Sandy's death when I first met her, but several months ago, I requested, quote, the entire police file of Sandy Beale to see if I'd get anything different. I'd all but put the request out of my mind, so I was shocked when I opened this email to find that the file was 95 pages long. A few of the pages are fully redacted, and a good chunk of the file is made up of photocopies of Sandy's personal books. This content was all familiar to me, of course. But on page 84, the new stuff starts. It's Detective Shashelsky's handwritten notes, jotted down at the scene of Sandy's death. Reading these pages, you can sort of follow along with his investigation. He writes when he arrives, who he talked to, what he did, what he saw. And on one page, he writes down the items that sat on top of Sandy's dashboard. The first item he notes is a, quote, PG County police rig. I didn't know what that was, so I asked him. He didn't remember this detail, but he said a rig can refer to a police duty belt, which officers use to carry equipment around their waist. I'm sure you can picture one. It's unclear if the rig was hers, perhaps given to her as part of the Explorer program, or maybe it was someone else's. Also on Sandy's dashboard was a, quote, personal card of a Prince George's County police officer, Mark Murphy. His name was also listed in Sandy's address book. He died on the job in 1988, but I confirmed he did work in the Explorer program at the time Sandy was there. After that, Shashelsky writes several police clippings. Again, he didn't recall this detail, but he thought the note may have referred to newspaper clippings about PG County cops. He vaguely remembered that the local paper used to run an Officer of the Week story, along with a photo. Maybe Sandy had kept some copies. Lastly, he notes that Sandy had a, quote, schedule card on her dash. Shashelsky was pretty sure this was for the Prince George's County Police Department. All of these items, they confirm Sandy's close connections to PG County Police and her likely involvement in the Police Explorer program. Not only did she have address books with the names and numbers of local cops in her car, she had a police rig sitting right on top of her dash. I sent the handwritten notes to Shashelsky to see what he made of them so many years later. There's some things in here that uh, I had forgotten, like the black mark. Shashelsky's notes document that Sandy had a black mark under her left eye. I don't know what that was. Like I said, if it would have been a bruise, I would have noted it as such. But I don't know what it was, and I don't like that I don't know what it was. You don't like that? I don't like that I don't remember. The file also includes a crude diagram drawn by Shashelsky showing where Sandy's car was located in the pole yard and the track marks around it. The drawing is very rudimentary, and so I didn't want to read too much into it, but there are two sets of tracks next to each other, like a car pulled up next to another car. I asked him about this. Doesn't it look like maybe there was more than one car there? Yeah. From what I have there, it does. Either that or try to make a note of it. 
It would have been her tracks. Well, certainly in the police report, it says that there were tracks like she had been trying to get out of the mud. But the way that you've drawn this doesn't just look like a person, like, backing up and, you know, reversing and going forward and trying to get out of the mud. It looks like someone pulled up next to her. Yeah, it does. But I'm pretty sure that wasn't the case. Okay. How does it make you feel reading these notes from so long ago? Well, I feel that it's still a suicide. Shashelsky is still confident that he made the right call. Those things that bother him now, the black mark, the tire tracks, they bother him because he can't remember exactly what he meant at the time when he made his notes. Not because he thinks there was foul play. The notes also reveal that Shashelsky did a search on Sandy's name, calling the records department to see if Sandy had any previous involvement with the police department, either as a suspect or as a victim. At first, he wrote no records. Then he scribbled it out because the search revealed that in the last year and a half of her life, Sandy sought help from police on three separate occasions. It appears that a man had been following her at the mall. As you might remember, Sandy worked at the Landover Mall in her senior year of high school. She was part of a work-study program where students would go to school until lunch and then work the rest of the day at a local job. According to Shashelsky's notes, in November 1975, when she was 17, Sandy was assaulted at the mall by a 28-year-old man who she said had been following her for three months. He grabbed her and made threats to harm her before being sent on his way by the security guard. Then in April 1976, five months later, another incident occurred. The man followed Sandy through the mall again. In July, there's a third report. This time, the man apparently threatened Sandy for getting a warrant for the assault. I called Sandy's mom to ask her about all of this. Hello? Yeah, Melissa. Hi, Joanne. I just missed a call from you, yeah? Yeah, well, how's things going? I told Joanne what I found, the reference to the three police reports involving Sandy as a victim. She didn't know about them, she said, but she faintly recalled that something strange had happened at the mall. I never heard that from Sandy, but her good friends, Sandra Sheridan, had told me. And I think Sandy might have said something to her father, but I don't know. I didn't know how it ended or how it came out or what happened to it. What did Sandy Sheridan tell you, and and when did she tell you? After Sandy's death or before that? I think it was before that. I think she called me because she wanted me to talk to Ronald about it because she said, we have a security guard that walks her out to the car now after she gets through her shift because she worked at the mall, and it was Mm -hmm. new. You know, it was a a big mall, and it was new, and uh, I guess somebody was, you know, following her. I didn't know that she had been assaulted. Almost every time I talk to Joanne, she brings up Sandy Sheridan. And this is one of the reporting goals I really wanted to achieve for the Beals. I wanted to find her because she was Sandy's best friend and probably knows more than anyone else about what was going on in her life. 
I think she's married and has a different last name now, so it's been hard to track her down. Joanne hasn't lost hope, though. The last time I talked to her, she said she was optimistic that Sandy Sheridan might hear the podcast and come forward. Sandy, if you're listening, we want to hear your story. I asked Joanne why she thought Sandy Sheridan called the house all those years ago to tell her about the situation at the mall. I don't know, because we never discussed it. I, I took it for granted that it was taken care of either by the security guard or her father talked her into doing something different. I didn't know if Ronald got involved with that or not. Uh, I, you know, maybe when she told him that uh, somebody was, the security guard was going to help her, you know, to a car, you know, maybe Ronald felt that I won't get involved. You know, he was busy, you know, trying to take care of the family, working. So I, I don't know all the ins and outs about what happened there. In my many conversations with Joanne, she'd never mentioned this to me the fact that a man had been following Sandy at the mall. She had completely forgotten about it. And so had Detective Shashelsky, until I refreshed his memory with these notes. To be honest, it wasn't that surprising to me. These incidents, they happened months before her death. And the actual conduct, the stalking? In the 70s, stalking wasn't called stalking, and it wasn't taken all that seriously. The threshold for tolerating unwanted male attention was different at that time. And I imagine that the guy who was following Sandy was seen as an annoyance and nothing more. I wasn't able to track him down based on the information included in Shashelsky's notes, and the original reports are no longer available. Well, Melissa, it's good talking to you, honey. Oh, it's good uh... talking to you, too. I did a news archive search about the Landover Mall, and it turns out that it wasn't such a safe place when Sandy worked there. In 1975, the same year Sandy was assaulted, three different women were abducted from the parking lot and raped in three separate incidents. The victims were 15, 17, and 25 years old. The perpetrators were caught, and none of their names matched Sandy's stalker. But this context might help explain the safety measures put in place to help Sandy, like the security guard who walked her to her car. I don't have any evidence that Sandy's stalker continued to bother her after the last known incident in July 1976, seven months before she died. And there's nothing at the scene of her death that points to his involvement. But knowing about his existence, it puts her whole experience with law enforcement in a new light. We already knew that Sandy had met cops just going about her day. She saw them in the neighborhood and interacted with them at the drugstore. But now we know that on multiple occasions, Sandy appealed to them for help as a victim of a crime. Shashelsky told me that Sandy would have reported these incidents at the Seat Pleasant station, which was the police precinct around the corner from Sandy's house. A lot of the officer names in her address books worked at this station, including Ray from My Life as a Cop Freak and Mark, whose card she had on her when she died. In the last episode, I put out a call to listeners to share their experiences with police explorer programs 
or police sexual violence in general. And I've received a number of powerful messages so far. One person told me how they had a positive experience in an Explorer program and learned a lot of great skills. But most of those who emailed were survivors, speaking their truth. One woman described how she joined an Explorer program when she was 16, a junior in high school, and was sexually abused by a cop in his 30s. She wrote, quote, It has been hard for me to come to terms with it because at the time it was what I thought I wanted. I was infatuated. I felt noticed, wanted, and special by someone who was seen as a hero and role model by a whole community. I can relate to Sandy so much because of this, and it breaks my heart that her memory was smeared to save the reputation of monsters. It was always drilled into our head that females just caused problems and we were to blame for male law enforcement officers getting in trouble. They create this environment that makes the few women feel like it's a privilege for them to be involved, like they owe every man something just for doing the same job. It's like there's an unwritten code among females in male-dominated fields. We never acknowledge any wrongdoing against us because we are, quote, tough and we just want to fit in. Next week, we jump back into Sandy's story, revisiting the evidence at the scene of her death with top experts. Was she meeting with someone? Who did she have relations with in the hours prior to her death? What happened? Was there a breakup? We don't know. And that, that's kind of the big question here. You know, why was she in this muddy area, you know, sort of next to the barracks? I'm Melissa Jeltson, and this is What Happened to Sandy Beale. Thank you so much for listening. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise. Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. 
This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.